Chapter 13 of Tarzan and the Ant-Men. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew Reese, Cordova, Illinois. Tarzan and the Ant-Men by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter 13. As Talascar was preparing their breakfast the following morning, Komodo Florensal remarked to Tarzan that he wished they two could be employed upon the same work, that they might be always together. "'If there is ever the chance for escape that you seem to think will some day present itself,' he said, "'then it will be well if we are together.' "'When we go,' replied Tarzan, "'we must take Talascar with us.' Komodo Florensal shot a swift glance at the ape-man, but made no comment upon his suggestion. "'You would take me with you?' exclaimed Talascar. Ah, if such a dream could but be realized, I would go with you to Turhanadamachus and be your slave, for I know that you would not harm me. But, alas, it can be nothing more than a pleasant daydream, enduring for a brief time, for Calfastoban has spoken for me, and doubtless my master will be glad to sell me to him, for I have heard it said among the slaves that he sells many of his each year to raise the money to pay his taxes." "'We will do what we can, Talaskar,' said Tarzan. "'And if Aupanato and I find a means of escape, we will take you with us. "'But first he and I must find a way to be together more.' "'I have a plan,' said Komodo Florensal, "'that might prove successful. "'They believe that you neither speak nor understand our language. "'To work a slave with whom they cannot communicate is, to say the least, annoying. "'I shall tell them that I can communicate with you.' when it is quite probable that they will assign us to the same crew. "'But how will you communicate with me without using the Manunian language?' demanded the ape-man. "'Leave that to me,' replied Komodo Florensal. "'Until they discover in some other way that you speak Manunian, I can continue to deceive them.' It was not long before the fruits of Komodo Florensal's plan ripened. The guards had come for the slaves, and the various parties had gone forth from the sleeping-chamber, joining in the corridors without the thousands of others wending their way to the scene of their daily labor. The ape-man joined the timbering crew at the extension of the thirteenth tunnel at the thirty-sixth level, where he once more attacked the monotonous work of shoring the sides and roof of the shaft with an enthusiasm that elicited commendation from even the surly Kalfastoban, though Karaftap, who was removing rocks just ahead of Tarzan, often shot venomous looks at the ape-man. The work had been progressing for perhaps two or three hours when two warriors descended the tunnel and halted beside Calfastoban. They were escorting a green-tunic slave, to whom Tarzan paid no more attention than he did to the warriors, until a scrap of the conversation between the warriors and Calfastoban reached his ears. Then he shot a quick glance in the direction of the four, and saw that the slave was Komodo Florensal, prince of Trohanadalmachus, known in the quarries of Veltpismachus as Slave Aupanato or eight hundred cubed plus nineteen, which is written in Manunian hieroglyphics. Tarzan's number, Aopantando, eight hundred cubed plus twenty-one, appeared thus upon the shoulder of his green tunic. Although the Manunian form occupies less space than would our English equivalent of Tarzan's number, which is five hundred twelve million twenty-one, it would be more difficult to read if expressed in English words, for then it would be ten times ten times eight, cubed, plus seven times three. But the Manunians translate it in no such way. To them it is a whole number, Aopantando, 
which represents at first glance a single quantity, as surely as do the digits 37 represent to our minds an invariable amount, a certain definite measure of quantity, which we never think of as 3 times 10 plus 7, which in reality it is. The Manunian system of numerals, while unthinkably cumbersome and awkward from the European point of view, is, however, not without its merits. As Tarzan looked up, Komodo Florensal caught his eye and winked, and then Kalfastoban beckoned to the ape-man, who crossed the corridor and stood in silence before the ventil. "'Let us hear you talk to him,' cried Kalfastoban to Komodo Florensal. "'I don't believe that he will understand you. How could he when he cannot understand us?' The fellow could not conceive of another language than his own. "'I will ask him in his own language,' said Komodo Florensal, "'if he understands me, and you will see that he nods his head affirmatively.' "'Very good,' cried Kalfastoban. "'Ask him.' Komodo Florensal turned toward Tarzan and voiced a dozen syllables of incomprehensible gibberish, and when he was done, the ape-man nodded his head. "'You see?' demanded Komodo Florensal. Kalfastoban scratched his head. "'It is even as he says,' he admitted, ruefully. "'The Zertala Kolo has a language.' Tarzan did not smile, though he should have liked to, at the clever manner in which Komodo Florensal had deceived the Veltopismacusians into believing that he had communicated with Tarzan in a strange language. As long as he could contrive to put all his communications into questions that could be answered by yes or no, the deception would be easily maintained. But under circumstances that made this impossible, some embarrassments might be expected to arise, and he wondered how the resourceful Trohando Dalmacusian would handle these. "'Tell him,' said one of the warriors to Komodo Florensal, "'that his master, Zoanthrohago, has sent for him, "'and ask him if he fully understands that he is a slave, "'and that upon his good behavior depends his comfort, "'yes, even his life, "'for Zoanthrohago has the power of life and death over him, "'as much so as have the royal family. "'If he comes docilely to his master, and is obedient, "'he will not fare ill, "'but if he be lazy, impudent, or threatening, "'he may expect to taste the point of a freeman's sword.' Komodo Florensal strung out, this time, a much longer series of senseless syllables, until he could scarce compose his features to comport with the seriousness of his mien. "'Tell them,' said Tarzan, in English, which, of course, not one of them understood, "'that at the first opportunity I shall break the neck of my master, "'that it would require but little incentive to cause me to seize one of these timbers "'and crack the skull of Kalfastoban and the rest of the warriors about us.' and I shall run away at the first opportunity, and take you and Talaskar with me. Komodo Florensal listened intently until Tarzan had ceased speaking, and then turned to the two warriors who had come with him to find the ape-man. Zuanthral says that he fully understands his position, and that he is glad to serve the noble and illustrious Zuanthrohago, from whom he claims but a single boon, translated the Trohanodamakusian prince rather freely. "'And what boon is that?' demanded one of the warriors. "'That I be permitted to accompany him, "'that he may thus better fulfill the wishes of his master, "'since without me he could not even know what was desired of him,' "'explained Aupanato. "'Tarzan understood now how Komodo Florensal "'would surmount whatever difficulties of communication might arise, "'and he felt that he would be safe in the hands of his quick-witted friend "'for as long a time as he cared to pretend ignorance of the Menunian tongue.' "'The thought was even in our minds, slave, when we heard that you could communicate with this fellow,' said the warrior to whom Komodo Florensal had addressed the suggestion. 
you shall both be taken to Zoanthrohago, who will doubtless decide his wishes without consulting you or any other slave. Come, Calfastoban Ventol, we assume responsibility for the slave Zoanthrohago and they handed the Ventol a slip of paper upon which they had marked some curious hieroglyphics. Then, with swords drawn, they motioned Komodo Florensal and Tarzan to precede them along the corridor, for the story of Tarzan's handling of Karaftep had reached even to the guardroom of the quarry, and these warriors were taking no chances. The way led through a straight corridor and up a winding spiral runway to the surface, where Tarzan greeted the sunlight and the fresh air almost with a sob of gratitude, for to be shut away from them even for a brief day was to the ape-man cruel punishment indeed. Here he saw again the vast endless multitude of slaves bearing their heavy burdens to and fro, the trim warriors who paced haughtily upon either flank of the long lines of toiling serfs, the richly trapped nobles of the higher castes, and the innumerable white-tunicked slaves who darted hither and thither upon the errands of their masters, or upon their own business or pleasure, for many of these had a certain freedom and independence that gave them almost the standing of freedmen. Always were the slaves of the white tunic owned by a master, but, especially in the case of skilled artisans, about the only allegiance they owed to this master was to pay to him a certain percentage of their incomes. They constituted the bourgeoisie of Menuni, and also the higher caste serving class. Unlike the green tunic slaves, no guard was placed over them to prevent their escape, since there was no danger that they would attempt to escape, there being no city in Menuni where their estate could be improved, for any other city than that of their birth would treat them as alien prisoners, reducing them immediately to the green tunic and lifelong hard labor. The domes of Veltupismachus were as imposing as those of Trohanodomachus. In fact, to Tarzan they appeared infinitely larger, since he now was one-fourth the size he had been when he had left Trohanodomachus. There were eight of them fully occupied, and another in course of construction, for the surface population of Veltopismachus was already 480,000 souls, and, as overcrowding was not permitted in the king's dome, the remaining seven were packed densely with humanity. It was to the royal dome that Tarzan and Komodo Florensal were conducted, but they did not enter by way of the king's corridor, before the gates of which fluttered the white and gold of the royal standards. Instead they were escorted to the warrior's corridor, which opens toward the west. Unlike the city of Trohanodomachus, Veltopismachus was beautiful in the areas between the domes, with flowers and shrubbery and trees, among which wound gravel walks and broad roadways. The royal dome faced upon a larger parade, where a body of mounted warriors was at drill. There were a thousand of them forming an amak, consisting of four novans of 250 men each, the larger body being commanded by a kamak, and the smaller by a novand. Five entecs of fifty men each compose a novand, there being five entels of ten men each to an entex. These latter units commanded by a ventel and a ventex, respectively. The evolutions of the amak were performed with kaleidoscopic rapidity, so quick upon their feet and so well trained were the tiny diadets. There was one evolution in particular, performed while he was passing, that greatly interested the ape-man. Two novans formed line at one end of the parade, and two at the other, and at the command of the Kamak, the thousand men charged swiftly down the field in two solid ranks that approached one another with the speed of an express train. Just when it seemed impossible that a serious accident could be averted, when it seemed that in another instant diadets and riders must crash together in a bloody jumble of broken bones, 
the warriors rushing so swiftly toward the east raised their agile mounts which fairly flew above the heads of the opposing force and alighting upon the other side in an unbroken line continued to the far end of the field tarzan was commenting on this maneuver and upon the beauties of the landscaping of the city of veltopismacus to komodo florence hall as they proceeded along the warriors corridor sufficiently ahead of their escort that tarzan might speak in a low tone without the guard being cognizant of the fact that he was using the language of Menuni. "'It is a beautiful evolution,' replied Komodo Florensal, and it was performed with a precision seldom attained. I have heard that Elkomohago's troops are famous for the perfection of their drill, and as justly so as is Veltopismacus for the beauty of her walks and gardens. But, my friend, these very things constitute the weakness of the city.' While Elkomohago's warriors are practicing to perfect their appearance upon parade, the warriors of my father, Adendrohakus, are far afield, out of sight of admiring women and spying slaves, practicing the art of war under the rough conditions of the field and camp. The Amaks of Elkomohago might easily defeat those of Adendrohakus in a contest for the most beautiful. But it was not long since you saw less than fifteen thousand Trohanodamacusians repulse fully thirty thousand warriors of Veltopismacus, for they never passed the infantry line that day. Yes, they can drill beautifully upon parade, and they are courageous, all Manunians are that, but they have not been trained in the sterner arts of war. It is not the way of Elkomohago. He is soft and effeminate. He cares not for war. He listens to the advice he likes best, the advice of the weaklings and the women who urge him to refrain from war entirely which would be not altogether bad if he could persuade the other fellow to refrain also. The beautiful trees and shrubs that almost make a forest of Veltopismacus, and which you so admire, I too admire them, especially do I admire them in the city of an enemy. How easy it would be for a Trahanodamacusian army to creep through the night, hidden by the beautiful trees and shrubs, to the very gateways of the domes of Veltopismacus, do you understand now, my friend, why you saw less perfect maneuvers upon the parade grounds of my city than you have seen here, and why, though we love trees and shrubbery, we have none planted within the city of Trohanodomachus? One of the guards, who had approached him quickly from the rear, touched Komodo Florensal upon the shoulder. You said that Zoanthral does not understand our language. Why, then, do you speak to him in this tongue which he cannot understand? the fellow demanded. Komodo Florensal did not know how much the warrior had overheard. If he had heard Tarzan speak in Menuni, it might be difficult to persuade the fellow that the giant did not understand the language. But he must act on the assumption that he alone had been overheard. "'He wishes to learn it, and I am trying to teach him,' replied Komodo Florensal quickly. "'Has he learned anything of it?' asked the warrior. "'No,' said Komodo Florensal. "'He is very stupid.' and after this they went in silence, winding up long gentle inclines, or again scaling the primitive ladders that the Menunians used to reach the upper levels of their dome-houses between the occasional levels that are not connected by the inclined runways, which are thus frequently broken for purposes of defense, the ladders being easily withdrawn upward behind hard-pressed defenders, and the advance of the enemy thus more easily checked. The royal dome of Elkomohago was of vast proportions, its summit rising to an equivalent of over four hundred feet, had it been built upon a scale corresponding to the relatively larger size of ordinary mankind. Tarzan ascended until he was almost as far above ground as he had been below ground in the quarry. 
where the corridors on lower levels had been crowded with humanity, those which they now traversed were almost devoid of life. Occasionally they passed a tenanted chamber, but far more generally the rooms were utilized for storage purposes, especially for food, great quantities of which, cured, dried, and neatly wrapped, was packed ceiling high in many large chambers. The decorations of the walls were less ornate, and the corridors narrower on the whole than those at lower levels. However, they passed through many large chambers or halls which were gorgeously decorated, and in several of which were many people of both sexes and all ages variously occupied, either with domestic activities or with the handiwork of one art or another. Here was a man working in silver, perhaps fashioning a bracelet or a delicate filigree, or another carving beautiful arabesques upon leather. There were makers of pottery, weavers of cloth, metal stampers, painters, makers of candles, and these appeared to predominate, for the candle was in truth life to these people. And then, at last, they reached the highest level, far above the ground, where the rooms were much closer to daylight because of the diminished thickness of the walls near the summit of the dome. But even here were the ever-present candles. Suddenly the walls of the corridor became gorgeously decorated, the number of candles increased, and Tarzan sensed that they were approaching the quarters of a rich or powerful noble. They halted now before a doorway where stood a sentinel, with whom one of the warriors conducting them communicated. Tell Zoanthrohago Zertal that we have brought Zoanthral and another slave who can communicate with him in a strange tongue. The sentinel struck a heavy gong with his lance, and presently, from the interior of the chamber, a man appeared to whom the sentinel repeated the warrior's message. Let them enter, said the newcomer, who was a white tunicked slave. My glorious master Zoanthrohago Zertal expects his slave Zoanthral. Follow me. They followed him through several chambers until at last he led them into the presence of a gorgeously garbed warrior, who was seated behind a large table, or desk, upon which were numerous strange instruments, large cumbersome-looking volumes, pads of heavy Manunian writing paper, and the necessary implements for writing. The man looked up as they entered the room. "'It is your slave, Zuanthral, Zertal,' announced the fellow who had led them hither. "'But the other?' Prince Zoanthrohago pointed at Komodo Florensal. He speaks the strange language that Zoanthral speaks, and he was brought along that you might communicate with Zoanthral if you so wished. Zoanthrohago nodded. He turned to Komodo Florensal. Ask him, he ordered, if he feels any differently since I reduced his size. When the question was put to Tarzan by Komodo Florensal in the imaginary language with which they were supposed to communicate, the ape man shook his head at the same time speaking a few words in English. He says no, illustrious prince, translated Komodo Florensal out of his imagination, and he asks when you will restore him to his normal size and permit him to return to his own country, which is far from Manuni. As a Manunian he should know, replied the Zertal, that he never will be permitted to return to his own country. Trohanodomachus will never see him again. But he is not of Trohanodomachus, nor is he a Menunian, explained Komodo Florensal. He came to us, and we did not make a slave of him, but treated him as a friend, because he is from a far country, with which we have never made war. What country is that? demanded Zoanthrohago. That we do not know, but he says that there is a great country beyond the thorns, where dwell many millions, as large as was he. 
He says that his people would not be unfriendly to ours, and for this reason we should not enslave him, but treat him as a guest. So Anthrohago smiled. If you believe this, you must be a simple fellow, Trohanodamacusian, he said. We all know that there is not beyond Manuni, but impenetrable forests of thorn, to the very uttermost wall of the blue dome within which we all dwell. I can well believe that the fellow is no Trohanodamacusian, but he most certainly is a Manunian, since all creatures of whatever kind dwell in Manuni. Doubtless he is a strange form of Zertalakolol, a member of a tribe inhabiting some remote mountain fastness, which we have never previously discovered. But, be that as it may, he will never. At this juncture, the prince was interrupted by the clanging of the great gong at the outer entrance to his apartments. He paused to count the strokes, and when they reached five and ceased, he turned to the warriors who had conducted Tarzan and Komodo Florensal to his presence. "'Take the slaves into that chamber,' he instructed, pointing to a doorway in the rear of the apartment, in which he had received them. "'When the king has gone, I will send for them.' As they were crossing toward the doorway Zoanthrohago had indicated, a warrior halted in the main entrance to the chamber. "'Elkomolhago,' he announced, "'Thagosto of Veltopismachus, ruler of all men, master of created things, all-wise, all-courageous, all-glorious, down before the Thagosto.' Tarzan glanced back as he was quitting the chamber, to see Zoanthrohago and the others in the room, kneel and lean far back, with arms raised high above their heads, as Elkomolhago entered with a guard of a dozen gorgeous warriors, and he could not but compare this ruler with the simple and dignified soldier who ruled Trohanodamachus, and who went about his city without show or pomp, and oftentimes with no other escort than a single slave a ruler to whom no man bent his knee, yet to whom was accorded the maximum of veneration and respect. And Elkomolhago had seen the slaves and the warriors leave the chamber as he had entered it. He acknowledged the salutes of Zoanthrohago and his people with a curt wave of the hand, and commanded them to arise. "'Who quitted the apartment as I entered?' he demanded, looking suspiciously at Zoanthrohago. The slave Zuanthral and another who interprets his strange language for me, explained the Zertal. Have them back, commanded the Thagosto. I would speak with you concerning Zuanthral. Zuanthrohago instructed one of his slaves to fetch them, and, in the few moments that it required, Elkomolhago took a chair behind the desk at which his host had been sitting. When Tarzan and Komodo Florensal entered the chamber, the guard who accompanied them brought them to within a few paces of the desk behind which the king sat, and here he bade them kneel and make their obeisance to the Thagosto. Familiar since childhood was every tradition of slavery to Komodo Florensal the Trohanodamacusian. Almost in a spirit of fatalism he had accepted the conditions of this servitude that the fortunes of war had thrust him into, and so it was that, without question or hesitation, he dropped to one knee in servile salute to this alien king but not so Tarzan of the Apes. He was thinking of Adendrohacus. He had bent no knee to him, and he did not propose to do greater honor to Elkomolhago, whose very courtiers and slaves despised him, than he had done to the really great king of Veltopismachus. Elkomolhago glared at him. "'The fellow is not kneeling,' he whispered to Zoanthrohago, who had been leaning back so far that he had not noticed the new slave's act of disrespect." The Zertal glanced toward Tarzan. "'Down, fellow!' he cried, and then recalling that he understood no Menunian, he commanded Komodo Florensal to order him to kneel. 
but when the Trohanodamacusian Zeratolosto pretended to do so, Tarzan but shook his head. Elkomohago signaled the others to rise. We will let it pass this time, he said, for something in the attitude of the slave told him that Zuanthral never would kneel to him, and, as he was valuable because of the experiment of which he was the subject, the king preferred to swallow his pride rather than risk having the slave killed in an effort to compel him to kneel. He is but an ignorant Zertalakolo. See that he is properly instructed before we see him again. End of chapter 13 Recording by Matthew Reese, Cordova, Illinois